Does COVID have you feeling stalled at work? Cornell ILR Professional Education can help you get back on the road to career growth. Visit discover.ilr.cornell.edu to get started. Work is all around us. It defines us. The future of work impacts nearly every person on our planet. And the ILR School at Cornell University is influencing policy and practice around the world. In this episode of Work, Exploring the Future of Work, Labor, and Employment, Dean Alex Colvin begins a two-part conversation with Liz Schuler, Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. So to start things off, one of the things that I think caught us by surprise was the degree of upsurge of uh, worker mobilization in the streets and seeing the number of strikes that have happened. We had the biggest strike year since the 1980s. The Red for Ed strikes were obviously a huge part of it with teachers all around the country striking, the longest General Motors strike in decades, the Chicago teachers strike, the uh, grocery workers strike in New England. And uh, this is something that, you know, I'm a labor scholar and caught me by surprise. You know, I was sort of uh, something that, you know, I've been wondering if it would happen, but I didn't really expect it. Um, do you have any thoughts as to, you know, what's, why now? Why is this uh, finally happening now? Because I think a lot of us thought for a long time, maybe, you know, there'd be the pushback. But uh, why has it come now? I think people are finally connecting the dots, so to speak, right, that they see that uh, we've had a generation of bad economic policies that aren't working for working people, Um, certainly trade policy, right-to-work policy, um, that people are finally seeing uh, that coming together in union actually can create power. And so once workers start taking risks, uh, it's contagious. And if you rewind back to 2018, when those first teacher strikes were happening organically in places like West Virginia, some of the most conservative places in the country, uh, those came up basically through movements that were local and on the ground and workers saying enough is enough. We have had it. And they were willing to stand up uh, in uh, facing tremendous odds. to have their voice be heard and to make change. And so I think that once you see that is possible, that that ends up um, inspiring other people to do the same thing. And so we saw in 2018, it was a record year. I mean, you referred to it, it's, there were more strikes um, in that year than at any time in the previous 30 years. Um, And then in 2019, we actually had one week in October where 85,000 workers were on strike at one time. So it was tremendously exciting, and it's mainly because of, of as I said, the, the economy um, not working for working people. Healthcare costs are skyrocketing, right? Despite the, the low unemployment, wages are not keeping up. And whether it's workplace issues like, like wages and benefits or issues like affordable housing, where you have uh, in the shadows of some of the wealthiest areas in the country, um, take Silicon Valley, for example, people commuting hours at a time to get to their jobs. And so the labor movement has been part of a coalition of, of folks who have you know, stood their ground and said, wait a second, affordable housing is a workplace issue. And so we're going to work in coalition with community groups, allies, and partners to, to take a stand against you know, the rising cost of housing. 
in some of the wealthiest places in our country. So I think that's what's been contagious. And then also young people, right? A lot of these um, a lot of millennials, for example, who um, are just entering the workforce and um, are seeing that it takes, you know, one, two, and three jobs, like we've been seeing, you know, the pattern emerge, that, um, you know, their their generation is used to working in collaboration and used to coming together and are very civic-minded and, and know that, um, you know, we when we are coming together in numbers that we have strength. And so to me, that's what's also exciting is the young people that, that want to come together in, in union and uh, show force and see the union movement as a pathway for that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I wonder if, if we missed a little bit was uh, when the Occupy movement happened, which is almost a decade ago now, you know, it was really uh, active and a powerful movement. But then for a while, it seemed like it had it had faded, right, in terms of the impact. Was there going to be any kind of uh, follow through from it? Uh, but maybe what we're seeing now is this recognition that um, uh, this is connected to these bigger trends of inequality and that actions needed to follow through from looking at inequality and recognizing the issues in society. I liken that almost to the Google walkout. You know, if you think about tech workers who took a stand against sexual harassment and non-disclosure agreements and, you know, accommodating these executives who, um, you know, were harassing people and abusing people. And that Google walkout was an exciting moment. Yep. The Occupy movement was an exciting time. But really, to sustain movements, we need institutions. Right. And I know a lot of people think institutions yeah. are boring and you know outdated and outmoded and slow. But in reality, in order to have the law behind you and in order to sustain that momentum, you need some type of organization. And so I think that's why people are starting to give the labor movement a second look and and even Google workers who then were fired after that activism, right? They, they walked out and then a few months later, um, you know, the Google four were fired. Um, so the lab- they were contacting us saying, Hey, what is this labor union thing? Right? <laughs> what can right. we do to, to join something like that? And I think that gives us a moment in the labor movement, um, the traditional labor movement to say, how can we actually be more nimble and modern and, relevant to workers in some of these emerging industries who really don't know what a labor union is and to show them that actually it's just a group of workers coming together uh, to create collective power. Yeah, I think that is one of the really interesting questions, right? Is there going to be an, uh, uh, taking advantage of this moment to really turn around, I think, the fortunes of the labor movement in terms of the number of workers who are represented by uh, unions and covered by collective bargaining? I mean, you think of the 30s, right? Another period of great labor conflict, right? It was sort of, a, at the beginning of the decade, a pretty dire period for the labor movement. But by the end of it, right, you see the start of the kind of greatest wave of organizing we've had in American history, right? So, you know, there's always that great uncertainty in times of change in times of turmoil. Uh, you were talking a little about, um, you know, the labor movement needing to be nimble to respond to these kind of changes and think about how to take advantage of this. Um, do you have any thoughts about, you know, what the labor movement should be doing to position itself, you know, to take advantage of the opportunity of kind of this rise of worker activism and kind of be ready to take advantage of this over the next decade or so? 
Yeah, I think we need to ride this wave, this momentum. It's the most exciting time that we've seen in decades. Uh, you had said there were these surge moments, right, like in the 30s, and and then fast forward to the you know 60s and 70s yep. with the public sector organizing. It's like these spikes of right. action, and a lot of people are speculating that this could be the next spike. Um, that workers are ready for it. They're ready to take risks. They're out there, um, you know, raising their voices and, and fighting. Um, so I guess the trick is to connect the labor movement to that activism and uh, show that we are a pathway forward. And especially for young people, as I said, who aren't really familiar with uh, unions as institutions, they see us as, you know, an institution like like government or or even companies sometimes, right? That they're these storied um, organizations that don't really relate to them. So I think our job is to get out and really show people what we're all about and be on the front lines of that activism, not just at work, but in our communities. And we've been trying over the last 10 years at least since I've been here, to really make those connections not just transactional um, when you need each other for a particular campaign, but really be embedded in the community uh, for the fights that are going on in people's lives, in their whole lives. Um, I mentioned affordable housing earlier, yeah. um, but I, I know that as a woman labor leader, I want to make it my mission to show that the labor movement is a place for women, for example, that we're out there on the front lines of fighting for things like equal pay and fighting against sexual harassment and using collective bargaining as a tool to um, make advances in terms of those policies, uh, family medical leave, parental, paid parental leave. Um, collective bargaining is actually the most powerful tool you can have uh, to sit down at a table with your employer and not feel threatened and be able to, to talk about issues that matter to women like sexual harassment and get real policies in place to fight back against it. To me, that is absolutely showing that we are a labor movement for working women. And it, we just heard last week, you know, that women officially became 50% of the workforce. Yep. We will be 50% of the labor movement uh, in, I think, three to four years, according to projections. So a lot of people think that the labor movement is old white men. <laughs> your, your granddaddy's labor movement, yeah. right? Um, that's not the case. We're the largest organization of working women in the country with six and a half million women, the largest organization for people of color uh, in the country. We are the center of gravity to fight for the policies and, um, you know, the workplace changes that the growing demographic in this country needs. It raises a really, I think, important point um, that, you know, the labor movement has become a more diverse movement. Uh, African-Americans have higher unionization than other groups in society. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, women and men are approaching equality in uh, union membership. Uh, but, you know, one of the challenges has been getting a leadership that's reflective of the modern labor movement um, and making sure that, you know, we don't have a labor leadership that looks like the old stereotype of the past 
past, labor movement. What should we be doing to keep ensuring uh, that we diversify the leadership of the labor movement? You know, as a, when prominent women in the labor movement, you know, what what do you see as kind of the uh, key steps to bring other women into the labor uh, leadership and uh, obviously underrepresented minority leaders? Uh, you know, what what are the steps we should be taking there? Well, as a woman who has come up through the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, um, I know this particular challenge very personally. Um, I think, you know, it could be a little lonely uh, as a woman in a, a union that was very male-dominated, but uh, that said, it was uh, about getting the pipeline in place and making sure that you're nurturing the leadership of those up-and-comers um, and as our numbers increase, I think naturally you're going to see uh, more opportunities for women to serve. Um, it's not happening fast enough. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think uh, I can use the, the women in the trades as an example, actually, because um, an organization of, of women who worked in the construction industry started forming in California. And there are a number of state organizations where women are coming together. Um, but this uh, group in California started holding an annual conference about 10 years ago, and they said, you know, we need a space and a place for women to grow their leadership. And it started with maybe, I don't know, 100, maybe edging up to 150, 200 women at one time. Last year, I went to the convening, and it was in um, Minneapolis, and there were uh, 1,200 wow. women at this conference. So it yeah. was exploding, right? And you had every major union president from every trade union there, the national presidents in the room. Yeah. And so I think that's an example of how you have a strategy, you have a plan, you intentionally recruit, um, mentor, train, provide education mm -hmm. and tools. And the energy in that room, the commitment, the passion of those trade union women leaders was off the charts. And I said, if you could bottle this and spread this around the labor movement, we'd be doing fantastically well, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so that's just one example of yeah. how it can be done. Um, and I would say the same goes for our ability to uh, create more diverse leadership and inclusive leadership. Um, and we, we took on the challenge of addressing race head on with our commission on racial and economic justice a few years ago to have the labor movement be the place for the conversations that can be breakthrough moments and um, create strategies to recruit and retain more diverse leaders. So um, we are starting to open up those spaces. Uh, again, probably not as fast as it should be, but I think we're making tremendous progress. And I think as uh, as we know, the new American majority um, is, is emerging in the workforce. And so I think um, we're on a, a good pathway forward. Thank you for listening to Work. Subscribe to our podcast at work.ilr.cornell.edu or on iTunes. In our next episode, Dean Colvin finishes his conversation with Liz Schuler as they discuss the fight for 15 and the role millennials will play in the future of the union movement. Again, thank you for listening.